that's my USB microphone that I've got plugged in. Uh-huh. And the other ones that I've got are not those. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yep. <laughs> you can choose to quit Skype now or do it on your own later. Oh, God, I hate you, Mac. Wait, is, it, is that something it tells you when you t- switch tasks? No, I don't want to try the new Safari. (laughs) (laughs) Is this your first time using a computer, (laughs) Ben? Topic Lords. Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Ryan, North. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Ben, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Yeah, uh, so I am a game designer slash producer who has worked in the Australian industry for about just under 20 years now, and before that has flirted with freelance game journalism, so that that was fun too. I've travelled to e- E3 twice from Australia, which is uh, quite the fun journey, and um, I've had experience uh, developing free-to-play games, retail games for like a number of consoles. So GBA, um, the Nokia N-Gage was quite the highlight. Um, Xbox and all, all the next-gen consoles, recent stuff as well. So it's been quite a quite a whirlwind time. Sounds fun. And Ryan, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Sure, I'll do both. My name is Ryan North and I'm a writer of um, comics. I write the webcomic Dinosaur Comics. I've written uh, Adventure Time and Squirrel Girl from Marvel Comics. And my latest book, which I'm also going to plug, is coming out uh, very soon. It's probably already out by the time you're hearing this. And it is the uh, graphic novel adaptation of Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. It's the first time any of Vonnegut's work has been adapted into a graphic novel, and I am super excited about it. So everyone should read it. I'm an unbiased person, and I think it's great. Very cool. I have just also realized that Squirrel Girl rhymes. Yes. <laughs> that is amazing because uh, I always say it as Squirrel Girl. Yeah, it, a lot of uh, Australians and English, Germans get mad at me because they say it doesn't rhyme. What are you trying to do? And I say Squirrel Girl. <laughs> I saw somebody present a jam game named Bowie Racers and he insisted that it was a pun in British English. Huh. You've got limited time in a game jam, so maybe <laughs> that's true. Maybe they thought they just bluffed their way through this one. <laughs> Explaining a pun as part of your game jam. <laughs> <laughs> the game is what do you think the pun is? I, I so I think uh, buoy is pronounced boy in the UK. Yes, that's correct. Yes, I've heard it pronounced that here as well. So maybe boy racers is a thing. Maybe, but I don't really see how it's a pun though. Were all the characters boys? Like, were they all young men? Oh, okay. All right. Wiki- There's a Wikipedia entry for Boy Racer, and it's also a single by Morrissey. Ah. Uh, okay. So it's a, a term given to a young person who drives in a fast and aggressive manner. Right. I assume this is also. Wait, no, there's a, it's, it's a New Zealand thing. So, like, maybe you have to be both British and from New Zealand to get this pun. Oh, that's really exhausting. <laughs> No, I'm into that. I, I love <laughs> extremely obscure humor that you have to look up to understand. Oh, so do I. Um, there's a reason why I, I enjoyed um, Glitter Benton Grove so much. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, are we are we ready to start on some topics? Sure. Let's do it. 
All right, Ben, your first topic is the concept of being able to cook a recipe from your mind without even being able to explain how. Yeah, this is something that is very close to my heart um, because I have a recipe that I can just do with, without thinking about it whenever I need to like make some lunch or something like that. Yeah. And it's a, it's kind of a, a thing where you, you have like your, uh, you know, your grandmother or someone who's like, oh, you know, uh, I can make you this, I can make you this uh, home cooked recipe. And you're like, well, how? And it's like, oh, you just add a bit of this and a, a dash of that and blah, blah, blah. And, and I yeah. never understood that. I'm like, no, 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 you need, you need measurements and things, you know, instructions. <laughs> yeah. But I, I have this recipe for minestrone soup and I can just like autopilot make this thing. And it's just like, I know exactly how much needs to go, water needs to go into the pot, how much, uh, which vegetables, which um, uh, spices and how much Tabasco sauce and all that kind of stuff. Just, you know, splashing it and do, do it a little bit until, until it's right. And you can't explain that to anyone. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you just did. <laughs> And I feel like, like as a developer guy, you could you're familiar with the concept of an algorithm, a discrete series of steps from, that can be reproduced. Oh wow, yeah, I didn't think of it like that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think what you need is you need someone who is not familiar with the recipe to watch over your shoulder and write down what you do. Yeah, I tried to do this with my uh, my nana for like a chocolate cake recipe. Mm-hmm. She was like. What are you doing? You know, we, and we we made this we made this cake, and it it was the worst cake ever. You know, because she, she's like, what are, "Why are you trying to like?" You threw her off. Yeah. I once uh, played I played games of chess with my friend Joey, and one time we thought, you know, let's let's write down our moves and post our games online because we're both too, you know, we do comics. People like us; they'll want to see our games. And every time we recorded our games. They were the most embarrassing, like, baby's first <laughs> chess game. I would make a move. He would counter it. I'd do a move that undid the previous move. He would move his back. We did that three times. And I kept thinking, I'm going to get him this time. So, I understand. Like, I agree that when you're being watched or being observed, uh, it can throw you off. It's, it's, it's that same kind of thing where I've, tra- I've had um, people ask me for this recipe. And they're like, can you just, like, write it down or something? I'm like, I can. <laughs> But it won't turn out the same at all, you know? So I feel like if I was asking you that recipe, I would find this deeply frustrating because you clearly know how to do it and you can do it on demand. And so I feel like this is more a transcription issue than anything else. Like the concepts, I feel like if you can express them in your head, you can write them down. And so I would I would feel like I'd lose sympathy for you. <laughs> I'd be like, just do it. Look, I agree with you. I am 100% <laughs> in agreement with this. I've tried to write this thing down. <laughs> <laughs> but you failed. I think the problem is that like the part of your brain that is used to remember the recipe is also the part you'd use to write it down with. Yeah, that's right. Is it? You guys are like running so close to 100% capacity. <laughs> um, all well, I know is think I can of it make as this like, for you like at any time. But if you if you ask to make it yourself and I tried it, I try to write it down for you. I'm not trying to like sabotage the recipe so no one else can have it. I would love other people to have this. <laughs> so what we need to do is invent like a measuring cup that doesn't actually hold the thing you're pouring into. It's just like you pour it through the measuring cup yeah. into the pan and then 
the measuring top cup tells you, or not even you, because if you knew, it'll probably fuck it up. It tells some third party how much you've in, you've, how much you've put in there. Yeah, sort of, sort of like a um, panopticon kitchen. Yeah, you know what? You can um, you can weigh the flour, the container that you had the flour in it. You can weigh it before and after. Oh, that's great! Yeah, because all your measurements come after you completed the task successfully. Solved it. We this is done. Yeah, we solved it. All right, Ben. I want that recipe. Yeah. At this point, we don't even need the recipe. We've, we've got the recipe <laughs> for the recipe. <laughs> we've got a proof of concept. That's all we need. The rest is just implementation. Yeah, I think I, I've definitely talked to people who like they made a good, even even something as simple as like a like a strawberry jam. And I was like, how how much sugar do you put in? And they're like, well, I put it in until it looks right. At, like mm. this is <laughs> this is not helpful. But on, on the other hand, like if someone has that instinct for everything they make. So those, those are some of the best and also the most frustrating cooks. Yeah. It's amazing to be able to uh, to be a cook and just by instinct be able to make something. That's I find that always always amazing and to be able to taste it and be like, "Oh, it needs a bit more of this or it needs a little, you know, a little less of this, so I'll put this in to counterbalance that." Yeah. On the other hand, like, do we really need your recipe? Uh, what's it a recipe for? <laughs> oh, it's for minestrone soup. Minestrone soup. Yeah. Like, if you Google minestrone soup, there's going to be a million recipes that come up. Of course there will. Yeah. And, and nobody but you has your childhood memories of eating your grandma's minestrone soup. So, it doesn't need to be yours for anybody else. This is the cruelest thing I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> funny thing is like it's not even the recipe that my grandma gave me to start with i've changed it and made it different myself i've removed stuff and added stuff as i've gone on in my life um so it's changed again it's not even the same recipe to begin with it's that whole um what is it the um remove and replace the planks from the boat is it the ship of thesis yeah Yeah. i got uh owned on twitter posting about that the other week was really great I want to hear more. I made a, a silly tweet where I just said, you know, if I was in charge of the ship of Theseus, I would simply not announce when we replaced a plank and thereby avoid literal millennia of arguments. Uh-huh. And uh, this guy replied, it's a great reply, where he was like, is it literal millennia of arguments or is it one argument with participants coming in and out over time? <laughs> and I was like, touche. <laughs> well played. <laughs> yes. Sensible chuckle. <laughs> ah, risible. Uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, your topic is how many times a day do you remember something stupid you've done in the past? Am I normal and developing as I should? Right. So, uh, I came up with this topic after I was having a shower and I was thinking about my life as I do sometimes while uh, naked in the shower. And I thought, you know, if I wrote down, because there, there was a Twitter account. I used to follow, I think it was called Why Boner. And the joke was every time he got a boner, he'd tweet about it what the reason for it was. <laughs> and I don't think it was real, <laughs> but it would be like, you know, I thought about thought about lunch. And then the joke would be, you got a boner for lunch. Anyway, the idea was if I wrote down or noted every time I thought about something in my past that made me feel embarrassed or ashamed or cringe about it, how often would it be? And I think it would be probably like 
five to 10 times a day. And then is that a normal amount? Is that too much? Is it too little? So I'm curious to hear from others how often you recall per day uh, something stupid you've done in the past and if this makes you feel good about yourself. <laughs> I guess I know the answer to that second half of that, but I'm curious <laughs> about the first half. I definitely constantly have... Well, it's not constantly, that would be... <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do regularly have like flashes of self-doubt of things I've I've done like there was that time in primary school where I you know I I talked to a talked to a kid and and did you know did this badly the how what a mm-hmm. horrible person I am or and it's like why why am I thinking about this when I'm like nearly 40 and then you feel dumb about that and then you can feel dumb <laughs> about feeling dumb next time yeah it can be something as simple as like Oh, you know, it was a thing I did at work. I I didn't perform the best uh, best that I could. Felt like I let people down, even though like people are like, no, oh, no, you're you're fine and everything's great and well, whatever. And also, this was like four years ago or whatever. You know? But yeah, this is this is definitely a thing that happens to me. Yes. So give me a number. Oh, it's it's not per day. Like you're saying, you're saying it happens less than once per day. Yeah, it does happen less than once per day. But it when it happens, really. Yeah, it's more like um, maybe weekly, fortnightly. Um, but when yeah. it happens to me, it's like really, really deep. You know, like a- I mean, we we all the mortifying or ordeal of being known is universal. <laughs> but what is I? <laughs> you're telling me once a week you think of something in your past that you regret and makes you you feel bad about it. Once a week, because I I just confess doing it five to ten times a day. And I thought that was a universal experience. All right. All right. Next question that we have to answer that'll maybe inform the previous one. How often do you poop? Yeah, Ben. <laughs> I would hope regularly. Because <laughs> I poop once a week. You do not. <laughs> uh, so I feel like this happens to me and I'm talking about the thinking about things in the past, not pooping now. This happens to me probably... Four or five times a day. Thank but you. But I'm usually able to dismiss it. And usually that's accompanied by like some sort of vocal tick or, or like a, a spasm or something like for, for whatever reason. Not today, Satan. Right. Yes. Like, like I fi- I'm physically ejecting the thought from my mind somehow. I don't know how it works. That's just how I've learned to cope. But then like similarly, like maybe once a week I will kind of get into a a uh, fugue state where I am thinking about this for half an hour. Yeah, that's that's the kind of thing I'm talking about when I experience things. That's yeah, it's mm. very very long. Because yeah, mine mine are brief. Mine is just like you know, remember that time you met your friend's brother at a party and you called him the wrong name for the whole party until he said, "Why you call me that name?" And I'll be like, "Yes, I do remember that, Brain. Thank you. I I do remember that. It was bad." And then I go on with my <laughs> life. Thanks for bringing that up. I'll file that away. Yeah. No, unfortunately, um, all my stuff that I remember regularly as um, advertising jingles and um, <laughs> commercials from and cartoons from the 1980s, those constantly pop up for me. Like every frigging day, you know, just every waking moment before I go to bed. That's what's filling up my brain, unfortunately. So there was a, um, I don't know how universal this is, there's a brand of soap called Zest in Canada and they did a jingle that went, you're not fully clean unless you're Zest fully clean. 
Oh, yeah. We have that in California. Yeah. Just this week, I was walking a dog being like, so was the soap called Zest? And they invented the word Zestfully or is Zestfully a word? What other names <laughs> could you do that would fit that jingle? Like, you're not fully, you know, clean unless you're bread fully clean. It's bread because they call it bread, not Zest. Like, it, I just got stuck in a loop of trying to deconstruct this jingle. <laughs> and like... I haven't thought about what brand of soap I buy in years. I buy the cheapest stuff that comes in a big bag. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And and yet that stuff is still taking up space in your head. I have long held that corporations should be forced to pay rent on advertising jingles that are still stuck in your head. I'm very much in agreement with this, that that they owe me some serious back pay. Yeah. (laughs) I I can remember a... uh, a commercial jingle for a an ice cream topping that goes hard when you put it on the ice cream and it turns into crackly chalk ice is the uh, <laughs> thing from the uh, you see i can still remember this that this is delightful what a delightful t- name for a thing <laughs> oh i liked crackly chalk ice better yeah ice magic could be like anything could be a prophylactic yeah. it could be a, be a <laughs> anything <laughs> Well, that's what it turns into, you see. <laughs> they, the whole commercial is like because um, is on TV and well, not anymore. Um, but they would dro- they would show you um, them using the ice magic on top of vanilla ice cream, and they'd be like, "Is that a chocolate bee or some giant alien flea on top of my ice cream?" And it goes on like this. Uh-huh. Uh, I would charge rent for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll remember all the jingles you want if you pay me for them. I don't want any more. <laughs> for a while, I was convinced you were going to describe a commercial where, as a metaphor for the transformation from the, the, the syrup into a hard shell, they were also going to transform the product from having a boring name into a great name. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly not. So, the other problem with this question – actually, I don't know if I said the first problem with this question – I don't remember what the first problem with this question is. Anyway, the problem with this question is that listeners to Topic Lords have said to me things like, why did all Jim's friends have ADHD? (laughs) Apparently, I have a very specific kind of person on this show, and this person is not neurotypical. And so, gathering your, your am I normal data from people on Topic Lords is not a good idea. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's 50%. Like, you you match me pretty close. And then Ben is this alien in human skin who only thinks about his mistakes once a week. <laughs> oh, but but probably spends more time than you doing it, though. Yeah, I guess. Think of it this way, Ryan. I, I, I spend less time, but I go into a deep existential dread about whether i whether i put on the right t-shirt when i was a child or something i feel like you want me to say that that makes me feel better <laughs> that you're entering into this existential dread over you know 40 year old t-shirts and it does so thank you <laughs> <laughs> i'm happy to help all right back to the poop thing if you could poop four or five times a day or once a week which would you choose like say you spent like an hour and a half pooping at one time. Wait, are you saying that <laughs> your weekly output takes you about an hour and a half total? Oh, this is just a hypothetical. Interesting. If you could, <laughs> if you could, if you could get all your pooping done for the week all at once. Yes. 
Absolutely. Do it. Yeah. 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 Hundred percent. Done. Yeah. Same. Then I can go and travel and not have to worry about finding a washroom or bathroom or restroom or water closet, whatever they call it in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> bathroom, toilet. Take your pick. You don't call it the WC. No, I'm. I'm not from you know Britain. Okay. okay. Nothing high class here. I feel like for us, it's just overseas. They call it the WC. Yeah, yeah. But that takes so long to say. It's the toilet. Come on, say what it is. Sometimes you just have to use an acronym that's longer than the phrase it's shortening. I remember going to America one time and, and asking where the toilet was in a restaurant, and boy, was that the wrong thing to say. I was. I was. Given a very a very um, interesting look by the um, the waitress, and she and she said to me, "It's in the bathroom." <laughs> wow! <laughs> like I'd said the most <laughs> offensive thing ever. I, I think that's that was that waitress. Not I don't think that's a an America thing. Are you sure? No, I'm not sure. I'll have to try it when COVID is over. <laughs> Now that's going to be every, how I ask every time. So just you just got to get straight to the point, you know? I could go one step further and say, okay, where do I pee around here? <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Where might one evacuate one's bladder in this establishment? It's all about the manner in which you say it, isn't it? You know, if you, you, can say, if you say it high class, then it's fine. Yeah. Well, I'm talking to nobility who wants to evacuate his bladder. Into this top hat, my fine sir. <laughs> Can you sign it afterwards? Uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Let's, Let's do it. Let's do it. So my topic is, I miss making a game that was immune to bug reports. So editing this episode, I realized I've already told this story on the podcast on the episode, Fetch Me a Renaissance Italy Nostalgia. It's the one where I got bug reports that my new game was crashing in France, but if Glittermitten Grove had crashed in France, people would probably have just thought it was a clue. So we're going to fast forward through this story and skip right to the guest reactions. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's a clue. Yeah. Or a joke, or whatever, or just being weird for weirdness's sake, because I did all three. Yeah, sure. You sure did. <laughs> sort of the, the writer um, equivalent of that is I've done some installments of Dinosaur Comics where I've discovered that if you have an audience of sufficient size and sufficient intelligence that gives you sufficient credit, they will see things in your comic and... You didn't put them there. <laughs> They'll thank yeah, you for them. Yep. I had uh, one guy tell me like, oh, you had such an incredibly subtle but, you know, beautiful and well thought out reference to this, you know, chapter of the Bible in your comic today. And I just really appreciate it. And I want to write back and be like, yes, I know. Um, what did it mean to you specifically? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely happened to me. And I always, I always just accept it as like, oh, yes, uh, I must have subconsciously put that there. The other fun thing is if you're doing like an ARG, you can watch the forums for people who are trying to figure out what you're, what, what you're trying to hint at and you just pick their best ideas and you actually just say, okay, that's canon now. Oh, yeah, I'm, for sure. I, I've read conspiracy theories that that's how TV show writers have been doing it. If they have a mystery box scenario, they'll just like set, write the first three episodes and see what people say. I'm like, that's a good answer. 
it's I would say it's malpractice to not do that because like if you look at what they did with Lost and what the forums were doing with Lost, the forums were doing such a better job. <laughs> oh, Lost. I still maintain that the ending of that of that series ends with the start of Gilligan's planet. <laughs> They build a ship and they all get on it and go into space this time and crash land on a planet and that's how Lost ends. I, I like your I like your head cannon. I think uh, I think we're going places with this idea. I haven't seen any of Lost, but that makes me want to watch it. So it ends with them getting onto a spaceship and getting lost in space. <laughs> that's great. The most important thing you can know going into Lost is that the writers when they were writing the first season, they were certain that it was going to be canceled at the end of the season. That was, um, I mean, you, you guys probably know this, but that was how um, Star Trek Next Generation's famous Best of Both Worlds cliffhanger was written, where, yeah, the main writer was leaving the show at the end of season three. And so, he wrote this incredible cliffhanger. He's like, I don't, maybe the princess is, pull this one out, not going to be my job. And then he <laughs> stayed on and was like, oh no, I pranked myself after the conclusion of this story. <laughs> That like ended with the captain about to be killed by a super weapon the Enterprise invented, and he had to he had to wrap it all up. Good prank on himself. That's great. Did it Did it work? I haven't seen the I haven't seen this episode pair. Oh, I don't want to spoil it then. Well, okay. Can you Can you give me one bit of spoilers, whether it's good or not? <laughs> that's That's probably the biggest spoiler. Okay, fair. Um, I will say that the resolution is not as good as the cliffhanger, but that is often the case. That's definitely true. So, um, the first time I actually watched uh, Star Trek Next Generation was in 2014 when I was working at Tin Man, which is um, how, I, how I met Ryan, because uh, we, we worked together on a, on a, um, a, a game book of his, uh, To Be or Not To Be. Uh, I was basically watching the entire series on Netflix, like, day after day, and Every day I'd come into the office and Pitt, the team were asking me questions about like, have you seen this bit yet? Have you, do, do you know about Tasha Yar? Have you, well, talked about this? have you seen Best of Birth Worlds yet? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> tell me when you see that episode. It's just like, <laughs> and living vicarious, they were living vicariously through me as I was um, watching this series. And it was just such a joy to see my team essentially rewatch a, a television show again every time I walked into the office. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. It, it kind of happened a bit with Deep Space Nine as well. Um, I finished that up September last year. Um, again, I was watching it on Netflix because I'd never seen it before. I missed the missed the whole thing. It's been super fun to just go through these series. Um, Deep Space Nine has become like one of my favorite favorite shows i think as a result of that just the like quark and um odo in particular um they're just just great characters and play off each other really well i ended up as a joke writing um for my friends a one-page script of a situation comedy where the two villains were uh, roommates. Uh, two of the two of the senior villains were roommates with each other, and the the commander of the space station, Cisco. He was like the um, the odd couple neighbor who would pop in every so often and offer them gumbo. And um, yeah, it just kind of got really weird. It was great. 
one of those incredibly <laughs> obscure jokes that like about two people would get. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Is it my turn for next topic? Oh no, it's a write-in. Yes. Uh, Dan asks, what would we have in common with intelligent aliens? It seems common for analytical-minded people to claim that mathematical theories are discovered rather than invented. There's a programming theory personality named F Philip Wadler who claimed that if we met aliens, they would have lambda calculus. Another per programming personality on the math is invented side posted a hypothetical conversation with a, between a human programmer and an alien programmer that went like this. Human, how do you avoid race conditions? Alien, we just look at different futures and pick the one without data races. Alien, how do you calm arithmetic when it's angry? Human, our math is not sentient. <laughs> <laughs> like it's really easy to, even with things that are obviously not universal, to believe that they're universal if, the, if it's all you know. And I think like we're in a, it's really hard for humans when we only have the one math to be able to say like this is the math. Yeah, I was uh, looking a lot at the uh, Voyager records, which sort of are the best instantiation we have of this, where NASA's like, we're sending a message into deep space. We want it to be understood. How do we communicate that? And so they included a Atari 2600 screenshot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you've sent space invaders. This is terrible. <laughs> But like they're trying so hard, but there's still there's still assumptions like, well, they'll figure out the rate at which this record is supposed to be played. And the first uh, bits will just be binary and the ones and zeros, if they're decoded properly, will show a circle, which will be a clear indication to any intelligent life. They've got it right because a circle is signal and otherwise it's noise. And I mean, these are all their assumptions of necessity, but they're also kind of anthropomorphic promorphic or anthropomorphized assumptions like anthropocentric anthropocentric thank you anthropocentric assumptions is definitely how that's word pronounced that word is pronounced um i think so yeah it's you're you're doing your best with what we have but like i think if we encountered intelligent aliens it'd be less like you know imagining talking to our dog to your dog and more like imagining talking to i don't know a ceiling fan underwater where you're like, what, yeah. what do I, <laughs> where, where's the element of commonality here? How, what do we even have to talk about? And given that, maybe it does make sense to only try to talk to races that are like humans. I think you just justified alien racism to only talk to aliens who look like you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's basically Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. That was like a makeup restriction that caused the alien racism. Sure. Not a linguistics theory. I did like the um, the giant leech that sucked all the um, salt out of people and killed them, though. That was cool. The salt vampire, yeah. What do you think that thing's math is like? <laughs> Subtractive. Yeah, subtractive yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and based around salt. I mean, one of the things I liked about um, in undergrad is we were you get to like studying higher levels of math, and the teachers kind of confess to you that. All of math is based on these assumptions that we think are true but can't prove. For example, that A plus B is equal to B plus A. And it makes sense and it happens to work. But we can't prove why that should be a thing. It's just a property that we like. And you can build systems of mathematics where A plus B doesn't equal B plus A. And it can get some interesting results. They don't reflect reality. So, they're not very useful. But they're still a coherent system of mathematics. <laughs> And the, the realization that you could have systems of mathematics that don't reflect reality but are internally consistent 
And all that distinguishes that from our mathematics is that it reflects reality a bit better. Uh, kind of blew my you know twenty year old mind. That's interesting. Do you think that there are maths that reflect reality even better than ours? And if so, like what are the things? Like what parts of math would you say do not reflect reality very well that could do better? Yeah, this is uh, well beyond my <laughs> mathematical training. I think there probably are. There probably are in the future. Well, I, I look forward to the dinosaur comics where you address this. Uh, I should. The, the, okay, I, I do have an answer. I do have an answer. The, the whole I see in our mathematics as effectively a layperson is uh, division by zero. And the reason is, is that if you divide by like one divided by 0 0.1, that is uh, 10, right? And 1 divided by 0 0.01 is 100. And as the number you're dividing by gets lower, the number you result, the number that results gets higher and higher. So it seems like approaching 0 from that, from that end should be positive infinity. But if you divide by uh, negative numbers, the number gets lower, bigger and bigger in the, uppers, in, the, in the negative side. So it seems like dividing by 0 should be negative infinity. So there's, there's this discontinuity at 0 where it doesn't work. And so we solve that by just saying you can't divide by zero because it's undefined. But mm -hmm. it feels like <laughs> if you teleported me a thousand years in the future and they said, hey, we can divide by zero now, I'd say that makes sense. Because it seems like a hole <laughs> that we're all just supposed to not look at yet. But I mean, those numbers aren't equal and they're as unequal as it is possible for two numbers to be being positive and negative infinity. So it's like, it's clearly wrong. <laughs> it's clearly a discontinuity, but uh, I don't know how to fix it. And as far as I know, nobody does. Uh, ben, Ben, do you know how to fix it? Uh, I know, but I do know that um, it's a it's a great go to to any programmer uh, to say like, oh, I, you can just solve this problem by dividing it by zero, and then I always get a really good glare at me. <laughs> my my favorite programmer joke is uh, not even joke, just like a, a thing I would do was if I wanted a uh, loop to run in infinitely and never stop, I wouldn't just say like while one or while true, which is the shortest way to do it. I'd say like while one equals one and think to myself, if that ever isn't true, my program's going to stop. <laughs> if the laws of physics change, <laughs> I'll know because my program will break. <laughs> yeah. I So... Probably what's what's happening is that the compiler is optimizing that out to just be an oh, yeah, sure. infinite loop. Um, <laughs> so what that means is that it'll keep working as long as you don't recompile. Hmm. I guess I should recompile all my infinite programs once a year just to be safe. Just to, just to make sure that your shit breaks when it's supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> That's all notice that, that one is still one. That was a hard topic, but I think we did a good job. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm happy with that conversation. Uh, are you ready for another topic? I am. Me too. All right. Your topic is, what's the worst thing you've ever put in your mouth? <laughs> That's a good topic that I suggested. So, <laughs> I'll start. The worst thing. Oh, my God. I just realized this didn't happen to me. This happened to my brother. I was stealing his memory. It's okay. We, well, we'll, you can just tell the story and we'll pretend it was you. Okay. The worst thing my brother ever put in his mouth <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, at least, we used to live in the country and it was alongside a dirt road by fields and stuff. And uh, one day he was cycling on his bicycle going pretty fast and he saw in front of him there was a, a mouse, a dead mouse that had been sort of bloated by rotting in the sun. And 
he was going so fast, but his brain was going faster so that he could realize that this was going to happen, but he couldn't stop. Like he couldn't avoid it. He was going to run over this mouse. And so he ran over the dead mouse and it squirted. And as he was screaming, no, he opened his mouth to go like, no. And the juice went through the hole in the O into his mouth. (laughs) And he was like, could feel it happening and could taste it. And he was like, if only I hadn't reacted and so I hadn't said no and just kept my mouth pursed shut, uh, I would not have eaten dead roadkill mouse juices, but he did. And that's the worst thing he's put in his mouth. And I thought it was my story until I'm realizing now that it didn't even happen to me. So you guys go next. I'll try to think about my answer is. It's still an amazing story. I can't top <laughs> that. That's That's real good. I'm really happy that happened to your brother. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and not me uh so i'm I've, I've still been i'm still thinking about this one but off the top of my head at one point i accidentally ate an ant and it wasn't really that bad it was just really surprising to answer extremely sour <laughs> i um i did something similar that reminded me i uh, ate a flying bug i think it was a moth sort of that thing and the way it uh-huh. happened is I saw it in front of my mouth and I thought, I don't want to eat this bug, obviously, so I'll blow it away with my mouth. But uh-huh. to blow it away, I must first inhale a gust of air <laughs> to blow it away. So I inhaled and the bug went right in and it just like instantly stuck to the top of my the roof, back of my throat, roof of my mouth and died. And yeah. I was just like, yeah. why? Well, I did this to myself by trying to avoid it. Like this is like a Greek tragedy, irony, my... Just disaster. And it was, uh, again, like I think an ant, uh, sour and bitter and uh, not food is what I learned. Yeah. I can't really think of a worse thing. I can think of like, oh, you know, putting it like licking a nine volt battery, which is, you know, stupid. Don't do that. (laughs) Things you learn as a child. But there there is that thing just coming back to um, insects and bugs and stuff like that where one time at work, uh, a colleague brought in, um, it was either like crickets or grasshoppers or something, you know, which had been like, they're, they're, they're like ed- edible ones, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so it's like flavored and um, they're like, these are these are snacks you can eat. And everyone's like, well, not everyone, but a lot of people were saying, oh, gross, I'd never have that. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, it's probably just, a crunchy thing <laughs> and it was it was like a chili coated crunchy exoskeleton or kind of grasshoppery popcorn so i've i've also eaten crickets and um under i think similar circumstances i was at a uh, i was in austin texas and i went to this uh, collection of food trucks and they had a place that was selling shark kebabs and never eaten shark before so i thought i'll go eat some shark and so i went to this booth and i was like could i have a shark kebab and he said yeah do you want crickets on it (laughs) and i said what and he said do you want crickets on it and i said what (laughs) again (laughs) he said crickets and i still like i was hearing crickets like there's no way this guy is saying crickets there's no sign for crickets anywhere on the booth it says shark i must be misunderstanding him i've already asked him to repeat it twice so i said what are those (laughs) and he said they're tiny (laughs) bugs <laughs> and so I said, sure, thinking I might as well eat two animals for this at the same time, two new animals never had before at the same time. 
And uh, he put crickets on my shark kebab and smothered them in barbecue sauce. And turns out uh, shark tastes very fishy. And crickets are just a delivery mechanism for the sauce. And as long as you don't look at them, they're just crunchy. If you look at them, you're very aware that you are eating a full being. And it's a very challenging being that looks like a bug. But if you just close your eyes and think of England, as you eat, it's just, oh, it's crunchy barbecue sauce. I could get used to this. Yeah. And there's some shark in there too. <laughs> yeah. Do you have uh, uh, fish and chip shops in uh, in US, Canada? We do, in Canada at least. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, just, I'm just wondering because like uh, over over here we have uh, in, in fish and chip shop, the, the default go-to is it tends to be flake, which is, from what I understand, a kind of shark. What? Oh. Fill it a flake, yeah. What? Yeah. Are those just everywhere? Like they're really easy to <laughs> to farm, or there's you said there's a lot of sharks surrounding. Let me just <laughs> check and make sure I haven't got it wrong, but I'm pretty sure that uh, flake is a shark. This feels, and I don't want to disparage this, but I feel like this is the kind of thing that you may have learned as a kid and never critically examined as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great topic. Yeah, there's a lot of those. According to Wikipedia, you know, which is entirely accurate all the time. Um, yeah, flake, fish. Flake is a term in Australia used to indicate the flesh of any several species of small shark, particularly the gummy shark. So, yeah. Oh, oh we have gummy sharks in America. They're just not meat. Yeah, they're literally <laughs> gummy right. sharks. I feel like casually eating shark is pretty badass. I already knew like Australia was perhaps the most badass continent, but that just brings it up a notch. Uh, it's not really. It's just like deep fried. I mean, you're saying, oh, you're having fish and chips? That's cute. We eat shark and chips. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite nice, though. It's quite yummy. I, I, I am pleased that it's not like a um, uh, just a thing I was told as a kid and it's entirely wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a, you, you get a little bit of uh, validation. Yeah. You can just keep believing the things that you learned back then. This is like you just have this one sample point, And as long as you never get another sample point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Oh, um, I didn't put this mouth, but I uh, in my mouth, but I did see it in the on the menu when I was in Japan. Uh, it was pig womb and I politely mm. declined. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, that was that was both my friend and myself said, yeah, no, we we, we tried a lot of things. <laughs> we tried a lot of things while we were in Japan, but uh, pig womb, we were like, no, no, that's that's OK. Yeah, you made the right call. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the thing that I remember seeing on the menu that then deciding it's a terrible idea to eat is, is razor clams. What is that? I don't know. I didn't ask, but it's, it sounded extremely dangerous. It's the meal that bites back. Yeah. Ugh. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Let's do it. Uh, ben, your topic is Nintendo Labo is an industrial design marvel. Yes. As I sit here at my computer, there are pieces of punched out cardboard all over the floor. I have spent the past two weeks on, on and off putting together uh, the Labo Nintendo Labo vehicle kit. It's it basically this thing is you get a uh, a box which comes with like numerous sheets of cardboard, um, perforated cardboard and bits you punch out. Um, comes with a 
piece of software um, which has instructions on how to build the the kits, which are really really well um, localized and funny and enjoyable to to run through as you play and full of puns and all that kind of stuff. It's really, it's really, really well done. Whoever's localized that from Nintendo, good job. And there's like rubber bands and uh, sort of shiny stickers and bits of felt in there as well. And basically what you do is you follow the instructions and then you build together an entire steering wheel, <laughs> fully functional steering wheel with a reverse lever you know, like in your car, how you have like your your levers behind behind the wheel to like turn on the windscreen wiper and that you have those as well. They both have adjustable dials that click um, and it's all done with cardboard and rubber bands. And it's mind boggling. The fact that this is constructed from just paper, you know, essentially, essentially just paper. I, I, I it's blown me away, and I have a, a, a newfound respect for industrial design as a result of this. Yeah, that sounds very cool. Yeah, and then once you once you're finished building it, what happens after that is you build you build a, a toy con key as well because they 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 call, they call them toy cons because you put the joy con in and then it's a toy. Um, so that you build a toy con key and that sticks in the middle of the steering wheel and. It uses the shiny stickers to determine what kind of um, toy con you plugged it into. So whether it's a car or a submarine or a plane and it, the IR sensor on the end of the, the joy con uh, detects movement in the, in the um, levers and the, and, and turning and all that kind of stuff. But not only this, it's not just stuff I know it's stuff that the, game actually explains to you like it fully goes into detail like the game is built into three sections make play and discovery and the entire discovery section is so cool because it explains to you how the how the um accelerometer works when you push the pedal down and and detect speed um how the ir sensors um are you know shining light to detect the the motion of um the levers being turned and all, all that kind of stuff and that the accelerometer is being rotated when you're using the steering wheel and it's just if you were a, if you were a kid and you got this you got this kit you know like you're an eight eight to like 14 year old kid or whatever age you know um this is just the most amazing piece of software i think for a kid to to get you know like it just opens up so many ideas of like, well, what could, what if I did this? What about that? You know, what, what could this work with? And, and gives you an explanation as to how things are working. And, you know, the games are cool in there as well, but it also lets you experiment, which is really cool. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, can, does it let you do new, like, can you invent things with this, with this kit? You totally can. You can, in the discovery section, there's an entire area that lets you uh, remap the controls. So like you can, it's full on, full on like a, um, like a simplified programming thing. So like uh, you can have, for example, when the, when the Joy-Con, when the right Joy-Con is rotated, um, perform this action, you know, uh, it's, and, uh, or when the, when you shake the Joy-Con, this action is performed so you and they give you an example like they, they have a lot of video examples which are really cool 
of them turning the Joy-Cons into a crane, like a f- uh, where they use the left and right Joy-Cons to push forward and back and control your car with a crane instead. And it's amazing to see like all these all these ideas and the potential for design on what you can what you can do and to to make something entirely new and not be restricted by just what's there. That's really neat. Yeah, that sounds super cool. Yeah, like they were sadly they were being discounted to like thirty bucks um, here, so they're from a down from one hundred and ten. So I guess they've just you know they've died. I should get all of them if you I, can if you can find them. I totally recommend them. Yeah. Well, I already bought. This is like around when my son was born. We bought a Labo, thinking like, well, hopefully the cardboard won't rot in the next five years because I bet he would love this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently you can uh, reprint them. There's like a, on the Nintendo website or something, you can reprint the sheets if you need to just on regular cardboard. So that's cool. Okay. Do they tell you how to, how to get a cardboard printer? (laughs) Yeah, that's actually a really good point. (laughs) I guess you take it to like um, uh, Staples or something like that. Oh, sure. Yeah. But you print it on paper and then you put the paper on cardboard as a stencil. Right. Yes. Or you can probably order some from Etsy, some artisanal printed cardboard. But um, I got all three of the kits, the um, the, the variety kit, which has like the piano, um, the vehicle kit and the make yourself into a robot kit, which looks <laughs> amazing. And I'm so keen to do that. Best time during uh, quarantine when no one can see me, a, a fully grown adult wearing a giant cardboard suit. I, I am down for that. <laughs> you, you, you're like a, a giant, a giant robot, and can transform into a tank as well. And I'm like, that, that's better than any VR I've ever heard of. Yeah, I was super into when I when I was looking into how the piano worked internally, and it's just like you said before, it's just an IR sensor pointing at stickers. Like you put a sticker on each key and when you push the key, that sticker moves slightly and that's how the game knows that you pushed that key. Yeah. It's so, so clever. So simple. Yeah. So simple and clever and I love it. And Nintendo's always been really cool with um, just the, that uh, design philosophy of like using simple tech to make something entirely new, like whether it be the Game & Watch, which was made out of old calculator parts or, you know, the... Um, the Wii, Re- Wii Remote, which was, um, you know, let's let's put an accelerometer and a pointer in a in a remote control. Oh, hey, we've made the most uh, <laughs> most popular game system in existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually saw a video of someone who tr- who turned the Labo keyboard into a fully functioning synthesizer. Wow. Yeah, they got synth parts and rewired it, and you know it's it's just like a fully functioning synth, and it's it's amazing. Do we know how long these things like what what does the wear and tear look like on this? Like if you if you took this keyboard on a on your concert tour and you played a gig with it every night, I'd say it wouldn't last pretty long because um, when I posted uh, pictures of my uh, my vehicle kit on Facebook to my friends. Uh, one one mate of mine immediately chimed in and he's like, I built the piano and my cat immediately sat on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, cats do that for cardboard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've, we've got a couple of cats. Got to watch out for that. 
you know, it, it is in in the end, it is cardboard. You know, there's as robust as it is, and in, and it's got the got some seriously good folding to and and backup to make sure that it um it, it doesn't just like buckle or you know fail. Um, it is it in the end, just yeah, it's cardboard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Sure. So my topic is, has anybody else noticed that long anticipated events eventually, quote, happen and are thereafter, quote, in the past? I have noticed that. This is a thing that like is really kind of fucked with me. Like if you're looking forward to something or dreading it for like over a year, you just kind of like that kind of gets locked, baked into your brain that this is a thing that you are looking forward to or dreading or whatever. And the fact that it that that state changes, it can be really weird. Like sometimes I still like get a little, little moments where I'm anticipating the release of the game I just shipped. Right. Yeah. I've had kind of the opposite of that where, you know, back when movies came out and we could go to them, I would think, okay, this movie's going to come out in October and right now it's April. So by the time I'm seeing this movie this will have shipped, this will be done. All these things will be accomplished or fail, but they'll be in the past and I'll be done with them when I'm sitting down to watch this movie. And then when I finally see the movie, I'll be like, yeah, I did do those things or I did fail to do those things, but they're done now. Yeah. And now I get to watch this <laughs> film. It's a, it's a nice reward. Yeah. You lived through it. It's no small feat these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just, just getting through, getting through stuff. Yeah. Um. Short topic, huh? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, so, if you want to pick another topic from the extended bucket, we can we can get into that. I'd love to hear the earlobe cyst topic. Okay. Jim, tell us about that, won't you? Yeah. Okay. So the topic is: for years, my personal blog was the top internet resource for earlobe cysts. Uh, and this was, I had written a blog post about it on my personal blog and it was for like, for some reason, nobody else on Google, like if you searched Google, nobody else was talking about those balls you get in your earlobes. Mm-hmm. Little hard ones. Anybody, anytime anybody searched for earlobe balls, they came to my blog and commented. <laughs> and this was by like by orders of magnitude, the most trafficked and most commented on post that I had. Yeah. It, the, the, the blog is unfortunately down now, but it was my, my, it was my primary claim to fame up until I shipped Frog Fractions. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a shame that uh, Frog Fractions overtook that. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if anybody finds this podcast and has gotten this far looking for advice on how to deal with their earlobe bowls, the the most important things that I remember for the comment section... It's probably a sebaceous cyst. It'll probably go away by itself, but if it gets infected, you need to see a doctor. And you can lance it, but be careful because the earlobe is deceptively close to the jugular. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't be, don't be uh, stabbing that. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> How deceptively close to the jugular? I mean, like half an inch maybe? Mm. Mm. Okay, I'm, I'm just not gonna be poking sharp objects near my ear i don't think that's a good idea 
Yeah, I mean, I, I understand. Aside from piercings, which I, I have a couple, but you know, I, I let someone else do that. <laughs> yeah, you let the professionals handle that. That makes sense. This is um, only tangentially related, but it reminded me of it, the idea of like the internet doing something to you that you did not expect. For years, uh, my brother would get... Um, what would happen was he got this photo of a newborn baby saying, hey, our baby's born in German. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of people were presumably BCC. No, they were CC'd because uh, it was in the, in the past people did that. And so, he replied and said, hey, you know, congratulations, but I'm not this person. And I don't know you and <laughs> I don't know your baby. And they responded with something in, ger- in German that Google Translate sort of made it seem like they're being like, haha, funny joke. We know it's you. And <laughs> for years, they sent him photos of this baby growing up, up to like age three. And it became this thing where it was kind of cute and adorable to watch a stranger's kid grow up, but also like it had gone on far too long. He could no longer say like, I am not your friend. <laughs> you keep sending me photos yeah. of this child. And also the real, whoever your brother is, like who, who they should be sending the photos to is feeling very snubbed by now. <laughs> very loud down. Well, that's what we think happened because around day three, the photos just stopped. And we were like, <laughs> he must have talked and spoken to the real person he thought he was emailing saying, you tell him you've been sending the wrong photos for three years <laughs> to some stranger in Canada. But I missed it when they stopped. So, I was like, oh, what's new with that baby? When I was when I worked in web design, in, in um, website uh, development, I worked on a site that was selling hot sauce. It was this was back in the day when you would create a shopping cart for the one product you sold, uh, and the the person our client would was testing the shopping cart and making all these orders uh, with the email address her first name at aol.com. and we started getting the like emails from this person who was very like I didn't <laughs> order any of this hot sauce guys. You're sending me so much hot sauce, apparently. <laughs> What am I going to do with it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I used to use testattest.com and I'd feel bad for whoever had that. Oh, they probably relish it. Like, if, they, if you have a domain like that, yeah. Like, they're, I'm sure they're like getting people knocking down their door trying to buy it from them. So, if they don't, if they don't want, desperately want to hold on to that domain name, like, why would they have it? I remember this was like 97 maybe, typing in lesbian.com to see what was there out of honest curiosity. And there was this page that was like, look, uh, we registered this domain because we are a couple of gay women who want to talk about this, but we're getting all this these offers to buy it. So, the question is, do we hold on to this as a community for lesbians or do we sell it to the boys for a lot of money? And I was like, oh, that's an interesting discussion. And I went back next week and it was a porn site. And I was like, oh, they made their choice. <laughs> Take the money. I, w- I would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. All right. That's all the time we have here to- for Topic Lords. Now, Ben, if this is something that you want, where can people find, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you kind of can't. <laughs> that, that's... Close my um, Twitter account and my Facebook account is private. Oh, this is, this is so respectable. <laughs> Such a good idea. Why did you close your Twitter account in brief? It was too too non-racist? It was too not a hell site? I miss 2012 Twitter. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. And uh, Ryan, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, they can find me at uh, my personal site, which is ryannorth.ca. And I am on Twitter 
and it's at Ryan Q North. I sure am. <laughs> I'm holding on to the last vapors of 2012 Twitter, posting funny jokes. But you won't see them anymore because you quit. <laughs> <laughs> I can still see them. I just can't respond to them. Do you have a Do you have a read only Twitter account? Yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> but I can't find the password for it, so it's it's, it's just permanently locked. I thanks so much for being on. Thank you for inviting me to be a topic lord. It's lovely to finally hear you. I have, you know, we we've always emailed each other and and stuff, but uh, I've not actually caught up properly. So this was really nice. Yeah, yeah. It's like finally talking to T Rex. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.